Two weeks ago, Rose, who's sitting just right up here, she preached on the first half of chapter 5 and what it looks like to have the Holy Spirit uh, indwell us and empower us to imitate Christ in how we live. And as I mentioned, Pastor Brad spoke last weekend on the second half of chapter 5, because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, husbands and wives, what does it look like to relate to one another because of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And today we're going to continue in that theme of Holy Spirit guided relationships as the text focuses in on two sets of relationships, children and parents and slaves and masters. And there's a lot uh, to get into and unpack, so we're going to dive right in. I invite you to open up your Bibles or your Bible apps with me and uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And as I said, we need to hear it Verses 1 to 9 is what we're going to read in 6. But we need to hear it within the context and under the umbrella of chapter 5, verse 18, and verse 21. So I'm going to start by reading those two verses. Verse 18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, for wives, it looks like this. Verse 25, for husbands, it looks like this, and we'll skip to chapter 6, verse 1. For children, it's going to look like this. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. Fathers or parents, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. And that word fear, when we read that word fear in the scriptures, I tend to uh, liken it to C.S. Lewis's um, famous character of Aslan in um, the Narnia Chronicles. The lion roaming, which represents God. When you see a lion, you have deep respect and fear for that being, but as that uh, creature we know as Aslan, you also have a love and an affinity that draws you towards that creature. And so that's that sense of deep respect, reverence, and fear for that we're talking about here. So slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when you're watching as slaves of, as slaves of Christ. Do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we're slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Friends, as Pastor Brad explained last Sunday, Paul is upsetting the established relationships, the established order of society at the time for husbands and wives in Ephesus, last part of chapter 5, and now for children, parents, slaves, and masters. He's turning these household relationships upside down. He's turning them and hinging it all on verse 18 of chapter 5. I'm going to continuously draw us back to that verse. Verse 18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the original Greek language, as, as Pastor Rad mentioned last week, uh, this is the only command in this entire section, this entire portion uh, of, of the text in Ephesians. Everything else that comes underneath that are resulting behaviors. Everything we read is a result of the Holy Spirit indwelling me 
and affecting the outflow of my behaviors. I, uh, those behaviors have their genesis and their lived potential in verse 18. Relate like this because you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're revisiting this uh, original concept, this underlying truth, uh, again this Sunday because it's so pivotal. It's so foundational to the text. We simply can't accomplish what Paul is inviting us and in, uh, in encouraging us to, to live our lives like without having that verse embedded within us, without us embracing verse 18 in our lives. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit. If we skip simply to the instructions for wives and husbands, or for today, for children, parents, slaves, and masters, we will not be able to implement that in our lives. It will be futile. In fact, because of my uh, selfish personality, because of my sinful self, I will look at those verses and say, why would I do that? Like, why? Who would want to? It would make no sense to me. And if I did have an inkling that I should probably do it, how? Like, how do you do this kind of stuff? Dr. Johnson, whose uh, take on this passage I'm using as uh, much of my source, points out, and I mentioned this earlier, the Greek grammar is clear that all of the behaviors, which are not commands but are resulting behaviors, flow out of that command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that includes verse 21 in chapter 5 that we read, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And from these two verses, Paul continues to build last Sunday, wives and husbands, this Sunday, children and parents, slaves and masters, were supposed to relate to each other, namely being subject one to the other. Being subject one to the other. That when Jesus enters into a household, that when Jesus enters into your household, when he enters into my household, the relationships in that family, in our families, need to be guided and governed by the Holy Spirit. We have to remember what the common societal practice was at the time. That children and slaves, in the context of verses 1 to 9, um, were subject, wives were subject to the patriarch in the household. And, and Brad touched on the wives and husbands last Sunday. The male of the family had the ultimate power. The male of the family um, treated the others as subjects underneath his rule. In the first century, uh, the societies had a very low, even a non-view, a non-status view of children, of slaves, pawns on which to build. And then Jesus came into the world and upset the apple cart, turned everything on its head. And Paul says in chapter 5, verse 21, so submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why? What did Jesus do? What did Jesus model? What did Jesus teach? What example did he give? Let's look at a few passages of why verse 21 is a, is a hinge, pass, uh, hinge verse as well. Go back to Mark chapter 10, verses 41 to 45. Jesus is talking with his disciples and he says that he came to serve and give his life for others. The Son of God, and he refers to himself as the Son of Man, came not to, not to be served, but to serve others, including wives, including children, including slaves, including prostitutes, including tax gatherers, including the lowest of society. 
Let's skip to Luke chapter 22, verse 27. The Last Supper. Jesus is sitting down at the table with his disciples. They're beginning to understand and comprehend who he is as the Messiah. And Jesus pauses and he says, friends, who's the most important person at the table? The one who sits or the one who serves the one who sits? Well, obviously, it's the one who sits. And then he says, but not here. Because I came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus turns that relational power on its head with his disciples. And he said, I'm laying down my life. I'm going to lay down my power. And then he says, you're going to follow me. I want you to follow what I'm modeling to you, what I'm teaching. And so we skip to John chapter 13. And Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And then in verse 14, he says this. Since I have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Now note that Jesus doesn't say, since I have washed your feet, you ought to wash my feet. He doesn't say that. And that's critical for us in understanding the passage that we're in today. He says, actually, you're going to honor me by honoring the other. You're going to serve me by serving the other. Leslie Newbegin, British theologian and missionary, says this. Our neighbor is the appointed agent authorized to receive what we owe to Jesus. Our neighbor is the authorized agent appointed to receive what we owe Jesus. What I owe Jesus, <clears throat> what I owe Jesus, I am called to pay back to my wife. I am called to pay back to my kids. I am called to pay back to the person who employs me. I am called to pay back to Ken. I'm called to pay back to you. You are the authorized agent to receive what I owe Jesus. And it's with that understanding that Paul comes and turns these, relational, these household relational constructs on their head in the passage that we're in in Ephesians. He reorients the relationships around the empowering of the Holy Spirit based on the example that Jesus Christ gave. We cannot live out what Paul is going to ask us to live out unless the Holy Spirit empowers us to follow Jesus' example. Nothing in what we're about to look at will make any sense if we don't embody and embrace the Holy Spirit in our lives. And again, it's because of our sinfulness, our selfish nature that's there, which pushes against that and says, oh, this does not feel good. So let's picture the scene of the first century household, the ones that Paul is talking to. In this case, they have come together to worship, probably in someone's house, and someone reads out loud the letter that Paul has written to them in Ephesus. And notice that in both sections in chapter verses 1 through 9, chapter 6 verses 1 through 9, in both of the two sections, Paul begins by addressing the non-status people. Children, 
you of low status. I want to talk to you first. Slaves, you of no status. I want to talk to you first. He identifies them and gives them status. He identifies them as belonging to the Lord and identifying that they have a true identity, a real status, an ultimate status under Jesus Christ. And in the first century, that's a huge deal. That's massive. Verses 18 and 21, Paul is already calling both uh, children and slaves to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's already calling them and giving them an identity and a status, not because of the systems of the world, not because of the place that they find themselves in their society, but because of who they are in Jesus Christ. So first, children, verse 1, as belonging to the Lord. Remember, ultimate status equals under Jesus, revolutionary teaching. And then he goes on and he quotes the fifth commandment, which comes with a promise. And the key word in that commandment is honor. Honor your parents. Honor your father and mother. It's an explicit word to the kids, but it's an implicit word also to those of us who are parents. So what does it mean to honor? In the Hebrew, which the, uh, the, the verse that's quoted would have come out of the Old Testament context, in the Hebrew, the word to honor uh, carries with it the, the sense of weight. To understand the weight, the load that is being carried by the one that you are honoring. So in this case, children, understand the weight, the load, the responsibility of your parents. So think about that. Think about the role, the responsibility of a parent. God has entrusted the most vulnerable of all humanity, an infant, a toddler, a teen, into the hands, into the care, into the nurture of a parent. We carry that, sacrificing for our kids. Parents carry the weight of building identity and values, self-worth, worldview, of forming the philosophical basis of who we are as kids and how we will uh, carry ourselves and walk through life. And parents bear the weight of giving their child or their children the first glimpses of who God is, the first teachings and understanding of this is who God is is. It's a huge responsibility, particularly when we consider the sinful nature that we carry as parents, the selfish nature of who we are, the imperfections within us. It's a particular uh, weight when we think of our own personal baggage that we bring into our parenting role, perhaps baggage that we carry from our parents or generations even before that, our own shortcomings. And I say all this not to, well, first of all, not to frighten any of you who are new parents or thinking about parenting ever. And I don't say this for those of us who are parents to say, let's have a pity party afterwards and, uh, and remind each other of how hard our jobs are. I actually just say this to remind us as young kids, as teenagers, as young adults, as those of us who still, older kids who still have our parents with us, that it's a tremendous responsibility and why we should know that we are to honor our parents. 
Now, this respect, this honor for our parents uh, isn't to be offered blindly. Look at verse 4 in the text. Fathers, or parents in this case, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. In other words, children should, should weigh their parents' input in relationship to how God is directing their parents to instruct and to raise them. So, put on my, my hat as a kid. As a child, as I grow, we begin, I begin to take how my parents are, are raising me, how they are instructing me, how they are treating me, and I begin to weigh that against what God is saying of who I am, what God is saying of how I should be instructed and raised. Children are not called to blindly follow their parents. Children are not commanded to honor, to live under the ungodly actions, words, or teaching of a parent. Parents, we don't get a blank check. It's not just, this is how I want it to be. Do it because I said so. That's not how it works. We're called to follow God's instructions in every way as we parent. That's how we honor our children which is the implicit word for us back in the first verse of honoring. Remember, Paul quotes the fifth commandment when he says, kids, this is how you should live. But both parents and children are still governed by the first commandment. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods but me. And so we as parents and kids are called to love and honor each other under that first commandment so that we can, kids, obey our parents. And if you read the text in Deuteronomy chapter 5 where the commandments are, in the next, early on in the next chapter in verse 6, it talks about, and so parents, so that you can instruct your children in the ways that they should go. And Jesus comes in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 10 verse 37, and he affirms all this. He, he approves of this. He says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Because you are upholding the first, you're not upholding the first commandment if you do those things to have no other gods before God. Children, parents, we're in relationship with each other within the context of our relationship with Jesus. We honor Jesus by honoring each other. And that's what Paul was instructing his followers to do as Jesus was calling his disciples to do. We honor each other and thereby we honor Jesus by obeying. Children, obey your parents. And parents, obey the instructions of God. And again, I want to stress it. That such obedience is not blind or unqualified. We are always weighing this against who God is, how he loves us, and how he's instructing us. Children and parents are called to honor each other in relationship to how their relationship with Jesus is unfolding. Both must be filled with the Holy Spirit, weighing their submission against the example of Jesus and God's teaching. It's completely radical to the way that Households operated in the first century, but not because Paul is aiming at changing society's system. It's because Paul is aiming at changing the human heart, which is far more radical than trying to change a system or an institution or a construct. And this is the same principle 
This heart principle is the same principle that is applied to slaves and masters relationships in verses 5 to 9. Again, Paul is focusing on changing the heart as the genesis of ultimate change. And it's important to know, Paul's not actually trying to eradicate or, or alter the societal system or the institution of slavery in his day in these uh, verses from verse 5 to 9. He's taking the same tact, actually, that one of our modern day uh, uh, prophets was taking, Martin Luther King Jr., taking the same tact of aiming at the heart to make change. And some are going to take this and read this passage and say, well, why isn't Paul just getting rid of slavery altogether? Like, like that's where our mind immediately goes in our understanding and, and in our uh, perspective looking back over all these centuries. And some will say, well, then he must be endorsing slavery. But he's not. Friends, that's not what Paul is doing or means to do in this passage. Charles Swindoll says that uh, in regards to Paul's thinking and why he doesn't address the institution of slavery here, uh, uh, Swindoll says this, he says, New Testament teaching does not focus on reforming and restructuring human systems because they are never the root cause of human problems. The issue is always the heart, which when wicked will corrupt the best of systems and when righteous will improve the worst. If people's hearts are not changed, they will always find a way to oppress others regardless of whether or not there is, as in this case, institutional slavery. Paul's greater aim, Paul's intent, is to affect the heart. To go right deep to the source. He's going for the most significant impact. Again, recalling verses 18 and 21 as the foundation of this passage. He's saying beforehand, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, slaves and masters. He's not shying away from radical institutional change or relational change. Nor is he endorsing the concept or the institution of slavery. For the first century Christian slaves and masters, this is actually more revolutionary than even what he was talking about in terms of children and parents in their relationship. He's putting slaves and masters on the same heart footing. He's calling them to the exact same thing. Both slaves and masters, verses 6 and 9, as slaves of Christ, be filled with the Holy Spirit and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Rely on the Holy Spirit to honor each other so that you honor Jesus, who is your master in heaven and who has no favorites. Verse 5 and 6. Slaves, consider your heart. Consider your heart and serve them as you would serve Christ, as slaves of Christ. Consider your heart. Consider your identity. Consider your calling. I'm elevating you to who you truly are. Verse 9, masters, consider your heart and treat them in the same way because you both have the same master in heaven. You both have the same master in heaven. Slaves as slaves of Christ, masters as slaves of Christ. Be in this mutually submissive relationship. Follow Jesus' example and command in John chapter 13 to wash each other's feet. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Slaves, wash your master's feet. Masters, wash your slaves' feet. Hearing again uh, the words in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45. Don't follow the, the, the example of...
to lord it over their people. And officials flaunt uh, their authority over those under them. But among you, slaves, masters, children, parents, wives, husbands, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Because we follow Jesus, we serve as he served. No matter our position in this world, children, Parents, slaves, masters, CEOs, laborers, husbands, wives, student, teacher. We relate, we follow, we lead as our master in heaven. Jesus now dictates our behaviors and our relationships. We honor him by honoring the other, by serving the other, even in the inequitable power relationships that we find ourselves in this world. And we will all find ourselves in inequitable relationships. Children. Parents, slaves, masters, whatever the case may be. Friends, it flies in the face of society even today. Because this is a heavenly construct of the heart. It goes to the depths of who I am. It's not a changing of the system that I live in. It's a transformation of the heart first and foremost above all else. It always starts with our hearts, which is the hardest, the most radical change possible in this world. For the first century Christian slave, treating of masters in an unheard of way, with enthusiasm, with grace, with honesty, with courage, as if honoring Jesus. Verse 9, which captures the essence of these uh, few verses. And masters, you do the same thing for your slaves because you know that you have a master in heaven and he has no favorites. It begins with my heart relating to my master in heaven who has no favorites. And the system, the society that I live in cannot be changed, will not be changed until my heart is changed. I honor Jesus by serving the other. Again, not blindly. Not endorsing abuse of power as if there's that blank check. But according to Jesus' example and how God is instructing me Instructing us to live as he fills us with the Holy Spirit. And it's all because Jesus came and said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I'm going to wash your feet. Now go and do it to each other. It's simple. It's basic teaching that Jesus came to instruct us with. And friends, if we're honest with ourselves, no matter where we find ourselves in these verses, no matter how we wrestle with these verses, this is not easy. It may be basic in the teachings of Jesus, but oh, it's not easy. And so we have to continually return to the heart cry of verse 18, uh, chapter 5 and verse 21. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you fill me so that I can submit so that I can submit to the others that I'm going to encounter today, regardless of what our positions are, are how we're positioned and placed within society, so that I can submit to one another and honor you, Jesus. I can invite the worship team to come forward.
and we're going to have a time of response and singing. But let's bow and pray together first as they come up. Jesus, we do want to honor you. You alone, as we sing, are worthy of honor and glory and power. So Holy Spirit, we call on you to come and to fill us that we could submit to one another, serve each other, and in doing so, honor our Lord Jesus. And I, we confess, this is a hard prayer, Lord. Have mercy on us. I think of all the ways all the positions, the power, the rights, the freedoms that we want and we strive to attain. And you say, but not you. With you, it will be different. With us, it will be different. It makes no sense, Holy Spirit, unless you come and fill us. So come, we plead. Change our hearts. Jesus, we want to honor you. You are worthy of our honor. So Holy Spirit, we humbly call on you to come and fill us. Change who we are in Jesus' name and for Jesus' honor. Amen. As we move into a time of singing and response, uh, our prayer team will be available in the back. Uh, Curtis uh, Cottrell, James Carpenter, Meg Sumner will be in the back uh, available for you if there's something that is weighing on your heart that you want to invite someone to come alongside and pray with you there, there for you. So let's stand together and let's join in humble response to our King of Kings.